0: And now, it's the Rob Black Podcast. You can hear Rob live every weekday morning from 10 to noon on 910 AM and Talk910.com. And now, Rob Black in your money on the Bay Area's exclusive home for Fox News Radio, 910 AM. Here's Rob Black.
1: Welcome in. Rob Black in your money on the Bay Area's exclusive home for Fox News Radio, 910 AM. Little things change here and there, but ultimately we're pretty much still the same old show that we've always been. I am easy to get in touch with. It is an interactive show. It is your show, Rob Black, Your money. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. If for some reason you're out of the Bay Area, you can call in 415-322-9101. That's 415 415-322- 322 9101. That's one of those Google Voice uh mail phone numbers. And I say mail phone numbers because now with Google they've got this really kind of cool technology called Google Voice. You may not know about it now, but I promise you you will know about it within a year or two. You will likely be using it. And what they're ultimately doing is they're giving you away a phone number for free. And it ties into your email, and it could tie into your cell phone, it could tie into your business phone. And it's kind of cool the way it integrates emails into phone messages and phone messages into emails. So it it's nothing that you've never ever seen before. It's done just done very, 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 very well, all things considered. So it's earnings season. Nice surprise coming out of Intel last night. You know, better than expected. Wall Street was wrong. If you take a look at Intel, Intel is kind of an old company at this point in time. They're a mature company. They were trading with a three percent dividend yield yesterday. It probably should yield somewhere between 1% to 3%. 3% when people are afraid, they sell the stock down. And 1% when people are excited, they push the stock up. I would say that it probably should trade in between a PE of about 14 to 20 as far as next, time, next year's earnings go. So it's a pretty easy company to trade. I don't think it's as easy of a company to long-term invest and make tons of money. I think you would make make good money long term, but I think you'd have to keep accumulating. It's not going to be an instant gratification thing. So taking a quick look at the numbers today for the moon on Wall Street, it, it opened better than expected because Intel's earnings were in earnings season. Um, people are happy. People are happy. They like seeing that better than expected. So we're waiting right now. The federal forecasts. Federal Reserve's forecast on Wall Street. The New York Stock Exchange opened for Business Day, but the Fed's report to be seen late this afternoon. Late this afternoon, East Coast time, so early this afternoon, West Coast time. The Dow's up four, Nasdaq's up twelve. and S&P 500's down fractions. So, stocks are rising modestly on Intel's earnings. Will Wall Street see a seventh straight win in a row? Now, keep in mind... We went nine out of 11 days when the market was down. Now we've got six straight up days. Can we push seven? So one, two, three, four, five, we want six. One, two, three, four, five, six, we want seven. That's how it works on Wall Street. Next up, America. This is a big issue. Retail sales. America's still not buying. Fox News Radio's Canel McShell has the report. It's the second straight month that retail sales have gone down. They dropped one half of 1% in June and that followed a 1.1% decline in May. Now, last month's weakness came in large part from a drop in auto sales and also a decline in gasoline prices. Remember consumer spending makes up about 70% of the economy, so if Americans are spending less, that certainly could hurt the recovery. Connell McShane, Fox News Radio. With all the data you take it in and a one month level and you go, "Eh, let's 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 blend it into 3 months." With data, you can't just look at one, one piece of data. You can't say, wow, I just went on a date with a woman and she was fantastic. I am going to marry her. You have to see her in her good times, in her bad times. You have to see her three days in a row. You got to see her at night. You got to see her in the daylight. So you, you got to get – and same thing with data. You got to kind of get it, the different fleshes out of it, so to speak. Uh, you can't just look at one piece of data and say, ah, retail sales weren't so good. I'm, I'm going to go down. I'm going to go cry. I'm upset. Next up in the world, the White House. It's on the verge of a big win on Capitol Hill. A massive it may be welcome news for a president who is now struggling in the polls.
0: What members of both parties realize
1: is that we can't allow a uh, financial crisis like this one uh, that we just went through to happen again. Just three Republicans are expected to support the bill in the Senate, though. And critics say Apparently that by tightening to. down on banks and limiting the kinds of risks they can take, the capital will dry up, making a recovery more difficult. But the bill also includes new consumer protections that the White House hopes may resonate with voters. In Washington, Doug Luzader, Fox News Radio. Oh God, that was a boring story. Financial reform—will it finally get through? Will it be a cloture-type of vote that we need to have to push it out? Yeah, it's 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 part of what we work with in you know daily successes or failures on Wall Street. Over the long term, I think financial reform didn't have a lot of reform in it. It didn't have a lot of teeth in it. I feel very comfortable with what we saw. I feel very comfortable uh, saying this is still a decent stock market. It's probably a high single stock percent return per year versus double digit. It, it's not. It's just not – we're not in that world of crazy. We've got too many problems right now in the United States. You know, Intel reports great numbers, but – How are they going to do next quarter and the quarter after that? I mean, if we have a new norm of high unemployment for whatever period of time it is, it could cause a problem on that consumer retail side of the fence. So a lot of investor pessimism out there. And it got, bam, hit in the face today when Intel comes out with better than expected numbers last night. And Alcoa came out with better than expected outlook the day before. So earnings kind of it's time to tell the truth. I, I, I say this on repetition. I love earning season because it's it's kind of a time where you see how did the last ninety days go, and how do they expect the next three to six months to go? So June retail sales it eh, was as expected. Excluding auto figure was a little bit worse, but when you include the autos, it was pretty. It was kind of expected. Takeaway is that retail sales is neither good nor bad, and now we're you know focusing again on Intel. Intel did you know more than reassure investors. Intel's a big tech company it's considered a bellwether it's considered a leader of the flock you would put a bell on your sheep who is the leader of the flocks so the flock would follow the leader and it's considered a bellwether and uh, that's good for all of all of tech I mean what do you when you buy Intel what do you buy you don't you don't put a semiconductor in your hand and look at it of course not. You put it in a computer, you put it in a cell phone, you put it in with memory, you put it in with hard drives, you put it in at Best Buy. So you can kind of see that they they are a big player in the ecology. Now, Intel did more than just reassure investors that they're recovering. They delivered a stellar quarter, a corporate refresh cycle, contributed to a richer product mix. They had better than expected margins, strength across the whole product mix, strength across Asia, Europe and the United States. So on a lot of levels... Intel said the world's okay. Or Intel said the world is at least consuming what they make, which is semiconductors. So the cash coming out of Intel is just stunning right now. And there's different ways to admire a company. There's revenue. Uh back in the dot com days, we'd say, hey, pets.com grew revenue from 10 million to 20 million to hundred million. Whoa, we like that revenue. Then there's days where last couple of years were like Did you earn money? I want to to own a company where they earn money. We don't really care about revenue. You know, the the revenue story of the past, like pets.com, we always assumed, well, they're probably eventually going to figure out a way to make money. They can't always lose money with revenue growing that fast. But then there comes days where we don't really care about revenue growth, where we care more about earnings growth. But that's not necessarily true because there's a quality of earnings growth story that's also attached to this so, for instance, if you fire people and you beat earnings expectations, you're not going to be able to fire people next quarter. You're not going to be able to do that forever and ever, so to speak. So, Intel's great quarter generated tons of cash. And I'm a big fan of cash. So, I'm a huge, huge fan of cash. Intel increased their cash pile by $2 billion last quarter. Again, they make fingernail-sized semiconductors that run the world's personal computers. Intel's free cash flow could hit 20 20- billion a year in 2010, and it'll probably hit about $13.5 billion the next year. Intel's a cash machine. Wall Street likes that. It's a defensive name in a market, and their amazing ability to generate cash is huge. Keep in mind, when you own a company like Intel, you earn the right to own part of the earnings, okay? So Intel could give you the earnings in a dividend. Yay, they're actually paying you. It's like working, you work right now, let's say you're working at Safeway and you're on break and you own 100 shares of Intel. Well, they're going to pay you $3 a year. That ain't too shabby. That's like having a second job. And again, as you get wealthier, that second job pays you more and more and more and more. And the ideal uh, here is to build up your, your stocks to the point that when you retire, you can quit your stinking job at Safeway and have Intel pay you. Till the day you die. So Intel's a cash machine. And the nice thing when you have $12 billion, $13 billion of cash, you can do two things. You can give it back to shareholders and increase dividends. You can buy more companies if you see like, hey, we're missing out on this whole iPad glory because they got a better chip than us. So maybe they go out and buy a company that that could be more iPad-rific or could fit into the iPad. Another thing you could do with that cash is buy back shares. All three of those issues, I like it a lot. I like ye a lot. So, yesterday, George Steinbrenner dies. Can you imagine? He died in the right year. I'll talk about dying in the right year to make sure that your heirs get billions and billions and billions and don't pay taxes. You're listening to Rob Black in Your Money Shoe. Call the show 4153. Call the show. Um, 800-345-5639 It's 800-345-5639 You're listening to Bay Area's exclusive home For News Radio 910 AM
0: This is Rob Black and your money On the Bay Area's exclusive home For Fox News Radio 910 AM And now Rob Black 800-345-5639
1: to get your calls on the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Later in the show, I will give you some investment ideas that are very specific and very targeted. Investment stocks, growth ideas, maybe short-term trades, maybe long-term investments. I share with you everything that I possibly can. Uh, Coming up in about two, three minutes, I'm going to talk about George Steinbrenner's death. And an amazing—the right year to die is 2010, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. So if you have a wealthy uncle or a wealthy parent who's not looking so good, start, start firing up the bacon. Start firing up the bacon and see if you can't get them to pass before December 31st this year. Next up, ever sent a racy text to the wrong person? Listen to this. 20% of people have managed to send racy texts to the wrong person, and nearly one in 10 has been caught red-handed sexting by their spouses. That's kind of crazy. Now, I, I, think, I, I think I fall into both those categories. 20% of, have sent racy texts to the wrong person. I don't know if I've done, like, sexy, sexy texts like that, but that's kind of an interesting number. And, again, it shows you the sign of the times. Under 25-year-olds are the, considered the most careless. 43% of them have sent what are called sexy texts to the wrong contact. Men and women equally guilty. Text and picture messaging has become so second nature that sometimes people don't stop to take a look on who they're sending it to. I know I've sent business texts to the wrong people. Um, absolutely know that. And uh, I think I've probably sent a sexy text that wasn't meant for the recipient who got it. That's kind of embarrassing to think about. Listen to this. One in five people, um, when they turn in their cell phones or throw their cell phones away, they leave um, nude pictures. They leave sexy messages on their phones. So I don't know. maybe a, Maybe a treasure to be found in that stuff. So we all know George Steinbrenner died yesterday, and the All-Star game was yesterday, and woo, the National League won. So George Steinbrenner, though, he was considered a leader during his times. He's considered—I mean, the baseball players have to love him because he'd overpay for players, and he changed the economics of baseball. At one point in time, teams like the Oakland A's could win, but if your owner's not willing to pony up, you don't get to play anymore in baseball. So George Steinbrenner picked the right year to die by dying in the year 2010 which has no estate tax he's going to save his heirs 600 million dollars talking about the rich getting richer the estate tax it hits the very very wealthy it lapsed this year it was a quirky part of George President uh, President George W Bush's tax cuts that were signed into law in 2001 the 45% estate tax rate it expired at the end of 2009 And the 55% rate does not go into effect until January 1, 2011, leaving 2010 wide open for tax-free deaths. Crazy, right? Our government, because we failed to do anything about 2010, lost $600 million. Now, I'm not a big fan of the estate tax because to me, if someone spends their whole life creating wealth, they should be able to keep it upon their death and they should be able to pass it on to family members. To me, it's double taxation, which at one point in time we told a king, screw you, we're leaving your country and uh, uh, we don't want to be anything to do with you. We want to be our own independent states. We fought a, a war over double taxation. And to me, a death tax is double tax because when you earn the money, you get taxed on it, right? When you spend the money, you get taxed on it. So he earned the money and then it just gets taxed because your heart stops beating. I think it's the most insulting tax on the planet. But anyway, Congress tried to fix this tax way back in 2010. Um, They've tried to fix the 2010 gap, and they failed. So Steinbrenner's heirs are left with a big zero, as far as an estate tax bill goes. He basically was worth about $1.2 billion, and uh, he got away. I mean, it's a good year to die if you're super wealthy. Some estimates expect that our Treasury Department is going to miss out $14.8 billion this year. $14.8 billion and a trillion-dollar deficit, it's not a lot, but it's something, right? So Steinbrenner owns about 55% of the Yankees, which includes the team, the Yes Network, and the New York Stadium, Uh, the Yankee Stadium, as well as various homes and a stud farm in Ocala, Florida. That'd be the perfect job, right? To be a horse, win a big race, and just go stud for the rest of your life. So Forbes estimated that the Yankees had uh he had acquired them in seventy three for about ten million dollars, and it's probably worth about one point six billion. Now Steinbrenner is survived by his wife, Joan, his sons Hank and Hal, his daughters Jessica and Jennifer. He also has two sisters and numerous grandkids, so he's the fourth billionaire to die this year. So he's the fourth billionaire basically to escape that death tax guy named, uh, a woman named Mary Janet Morse Cargill, part of the multinational food company Cargill, she died. She had an, a worth of about $1.6 billion, and again, that's $800 million our government didn't get their hands on. Houston oil tycoon, a guy named Dan Duncan, he died. Um, he had a $9.8 billion fortune. The lack of estate tax saved his heirs $4 billion dollars. And real estate guru, Walter Schornstein, he died, uh, last month and he, uh, basically had a net worth about $1.1 $1. $1 billion. So it's, I'm not saying you're getting around the system, but it, it sure is a good year to die. And like I said, you got a rich uncle, uncle who's, who's starting to struggle a little bit. Consider firing up the bacon, fire up the bacon. 800 345 5639 to get your calls on the air. It's 800 345 5639 to get your calls on the air. Now, let's talk a little bit about Google Intel reported a great quarter and Intel is a tech company. They're not quite a web company. So I think for, as an investor, you want to develop bellwethers for almost everything uh, for almost all the sectors that are out there, you know, like Walmart, it's kind of a good gauge on low end retail. Whereas if you're looking for a better gauge on teen retail, clearly Walmart's not the right one. So, you got to find what what leads your stocks, and you got to find what – if people are shopping at, say, BB, they're probably shopping at Gap as well, BB's specialty retail, whereas Gap is more fashionably, you know, aesthetically average, so to speak. But if people are going for high-end fashion, they're probably going for normal fashion. So you learn to, like, read these things, and I would say Google – it's probably the bellwether for the growth of Internet, the growth of mobile Internet, the growth of advertising on the Internet – it helps other companies, but not nearly as much of a bellwether as Intel is. Uh, G- Google's got a good quarter going, so uh, a lot of analysts see this is about a five hundred dollar stock. It depends on what day it is. Some days it's closer to four fifty, some days it's closer to five hundred. It's about four eighty nine right now, and uh, you know a lot of data is out there as far as how much searching um, they dominate. You know what's the percentages. So Google shares have risen about twelve percent in the last six days. So mainly due to some of the data that's out there, they got the renewal of that China operating license that's built into the stock. They've got a shift in tone for tech companies, which people are pretty, if you had to pick some stocks to go for the next six months, tech is kind of in right now. It's in fuego. So the company's quarterly report is due out tomorrow night. So Google's going to report numbers tomorrow night. If you've never listened to a conference call, I really think you're missing out. Um, it tells you a lot. It tells you who the competition is. It tells you how the quarter went a lot. The first 45 minutes is very self-congratulatory. Uh, you know, congratulations. Congratulations. We had a great quarter. We did better than expected. Tough environment. Congratulations. Congratulations. It's PR. It's crap. But the last 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes of conference call is when analysts get to talk to him and they'll say, you know, hey you know taking a look at your foreign exchange uh you know rates the euros drop how much business do you do in the year uh, expecting to do in the euro do you have any hedges on it you can learn a lot of what the analyst community is looking for if you listen to the conference calls um google had the nexus 1 and and that strategy didn't really work out their own little google phone it's turning out that licensing the operating system seems to be a better idea for now Uh, They got some lower revenue coming in from China this quarter. That's not I mean, so there's some problems this quarter. The Nexus one, the China, the the foreign exchange issue with Europe, a little bit of seasonality in Europe where they tend to take the summers off and have a siesta and watch the World Cup. So Google may not have a blowout quarter. I'd look for maybe a buying opportunity if its weak. Um, They also did aggressive hiring in the quarter. When you aggressively hire it, you spend money. So Google's quarter is not looking like a champion quarter, if you know what I'm saying. You're a googly moogly. Great to to 800 345 to get your calls in there. It's 800 I can see Google easily getting to $700 by the end of this year. It's a dominant company. It's got a low valuation. It's got a lot of short-term negatives, which has held it back a little bit. So if you're asking me for a price target, $500 stock, I could easily say $650, maybe $700. There's some movement in there. There's some movement in there. I'm not sure if you could afford to go out and buy a $489 stock. Not everyone can, but I would certainly look into it. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. You can also drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Coming up, we've got the business of sports. And right around the corner, i got some updates for you on home price action. And... Who's slashing prices and why? Where in the world of real estate? Rob Black and Your Money, the Bay Area's exclusive home for Fox News Radio, 9, 10 a.m.
0: You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on the Bay Area's exclusive home for Fox News Radio, 9, 10 a.m.
1: I'm feeling my mojo today. Some days I'm on fire. Some days not so much. I don't know. Something's wrong with me today. I need a rebalancing or something, maybe a a day off. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Don't be shy. Something that's kind of interesting that's going on in the world of money is cutting of prices. And it's pretty aggressive, and it's pretty dramatic. And, you know, I'm going to make some enemies when I say this. A lot of people who love real estate and who believe in real estate aren't the smartest cats or they've worked in the industry and are jaded by it. I know more people who have lost tremendous wealth in their home than have gained tremendous wealth. And yet if you listen to radio commercials or radio shows, they'll tell you, Ooh, the power of money is leveraging in real estate. You know, leverage is, is why real estate works so well in good times, but leverage is why people go bankrupt in bad times and they lose their family fortune. And it's, it's sad, and it's it's tragic. Investing in anything takes some smarts, whether it's investing in stocks, whether it's investing in bonds, whether it's investing in real estate. It takes some smarts, and it takes some effort. Something I like about real estate, for instance, is location. I always want to buy my real estate close to jobs. I That's me. Because I know that when it comes down to it, I need to sell that piece of property. And when it comes down to it, I need to sell it to someone who... Probably wants to live close to where they work is the easier way of doing it than saying, let's build a beautiful out of sight, out of area. No, that doesn't work for me. I like buying real estate that are close to hospitals. Hospitals are two things. They're good for the community, but they're also jobs. So there's doctors that work there. If you ever look at a hospital, it's not 10 people that work at a hospital. It's 30,000 people sometimes that work at a hospital between day shifts, night shifts, weekend shifts. And they all need a place to go and live. So I like buying near a hospital. I like buying near, if, if you take a look at the school system, buying a great school system. Uh, buy a single family home. I hate townhouses. I hate condos. They're white trash investments. Now, in San Francisco, some of them are great. If you buy a condo right next to the ballpark, well, if you did it in 2006, you paid $800,000. And whoops, now it's worth 400000 Now, I, I don't like condos and townhouses because they're kind of for college kids. And they're kind of for senior citizens after a spouse dies. It's, it's not for everyone. Once you've had a kid, you can't live in a condo or a townhouse. And 80% of America want single-family family, homes. So I'd rather buy in the 80% of the world because it's going to be easier to find a buyer when I become a seller. So those are some of the things that I look for. You know, More particularly, I, I love a good school district because a lot of women drive the, the purchase of a home. If it were up to we men, we would all live in apartments. Um, you know, maybe not apartments, but if we were up to we men, I don't think we would have, shall we say, uh, Greco Roman sculptures in our yard. Uh, uh-uh, uh, uh-uh. I don't think we'd have pillars in our house and marble floors. We don't want that. So I, I tend to think that the home, what you're looking for is something that's going to appeal to a woman. So and what appeals to women, like maybe it's the best street in the neighborhood for, maybe it's the best street in the city for Halloween or the best street in the city for Christmas, or it's right next to a park. Do you have any parents love parks? Because you have a little kid, you have a dog, you just open the door and say, hey, go play. Parks are a great place to buy uh, real estate right next to. So now again, sometimes parks bring some some things that you don't want. You know, after hours, uh, drug use and things along those lines. So it's not that quite obvious and that quite truthful. But anyway, listen to this. Homes and I could go through hundreds of things that I look for when I buy a home. When I buy a home, I'm looking for water damage aggressively. I'm looking for things that will cost me money, like roofing issues. When I go in and I see a a, a beautiful living room, or I'm like, Ooh, who cares? You know, anyone can make a beautiful living room. That just takes a little bit of manpower. But if you buy and, and then you find out every time it rains that you flood, you're screwed. They, whoops, they didn't tell you that one, did they? So, anyway, homeowners now, they're trying to sell their residences and and they're cutting their prices. It's interesting to see nearly a third of homeowners have reduced their listing prices over the last 12 months. Average reduction is about 8%. So, the national average in price cutting has hit as high as 24%. So, what does that mean? Someone puts their home on the market for a million dollars? Doesn't sell. They lower it to 900,000. Doesn't sell. They lower it to 800,000. Doesn't sell. They lower it to 750,000. Ding, 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 ding. It's sold. So that's a pretty crazy number. Um, There's some markets that are are down much more, much more. Um, For instance, Minneapolis, 40% of houses on the market had their prices reduced at least once. It was followed by Milwaukee, 39%, Dallas, 38%, Boston, Baltimore, 34%, Phoenix, and Memphis, 33%. So the steepest average reduction in price was 32% in Virginia Beach. Now, what does that mean? Uh, let me just give you a quick, quick thought what this means to me. If you're hearing that someone lowers their price 32%, they thought their house was worth a million dollars. They thought. The reality was it sold for 680000 Now you can do the numbers that work for you. Maybe it's a hundred thousand dollar house that sold for sixty eight thousand. So some people think they have a house worth one point one million. You know, I bought a house last year and I'm just gonna say it was worth a million. I honestly think I'll be lucky to get eight hundred to seven hundred thousand for it down five, ten years down the road. I think it we're in an overpriced market. I think it was a foolish buy. Now, fortunately I'm wealthy enough that I can do that. I can live through that. I can I can push my way through that. I'm not stressed by that. So but I, I I realistically what, what I paid versus what it's worth, it's only worth it if I can get it in the sale. So I don't know if you're you're grasping what I'm saying, but um a lot of people think their home is worth a lot more than it actually is. And that's kind of tragic. It is kind of sad. Uh in the Bay Area, you know, I, I find that people are just too cocky and too arrogant when it comes to real estate. So home buyer tax credits turning into a, a grinding headache. Home sellers are slashing prices. Get this banks are starting to mow your lawn. Why are banks mowing your yard? So, well, like, for instance, they get big incentive to mow your lawn because they're trying to dump that property. It was a foreclosed, They own it. So um, you're now starting to see banks out mowing lawns. And then you get situations like in L.A. where you could break a city ordinance and get fined for letting fa- property fall in disrepair. So when it, the bank owns the foreclosure, they're making sure that it's getting, how shall we say, uh, mowed. Interesting, right? That's kind of interesting, not wildly interesting. Housing starts are at an all-time low. Home vacancy rate is rising. And I don't see real estate coming out of its funk until those things change. So what we want to see is not day sales outstanding, but how many months does it take to clear out the inventory? We want to see that down to about four months. It's at about nine months right now. So four to six months, it's a lot healthier than nine months. When it takes nine months to sell your home, what that basically means is when you hear that statistic – that means you have to pay your mortgage nine times. And and during that period of time, you're lowering your price 10%. You're lowering your price 20%. You're lowering your price 32% on average. So what you think your home is worth versus what it really is, those are two different things. As a financial planner, as, as a person who works in the financial industry, from talking to financial planners, uh, no financial planner considers your home an asset. Now, you may consider your home an asset, but no financial planner does. We see it as a liability. And again, what you think you're worth, you may go walk around saying, I'm worth $2 million because my house is worth 1.5 and my stocks are worth 500,000. You're really worth 500,000. You'll be lucky to be worth $2 million, but you're really worth 500,000. That's how Wall Street works. That's how money works. 800 345 5639 to get your calls in the air. Where are my phone calls? 800-345-5639 to you get your calls in the air. Email me, rob at robblack.com, rob at robblack.com. Coming up, I'll do a couple emails and uh, get into some more stock-specific investment ideas for the day. Rob Black and your money, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating Talk.
0: The Bay Area's exclusive home for Fox News Radio, 9, 10 a.m. And now, Rob Black and your money.
1: Welcome in. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money 910 I'm the Bay Area's exclusive home for Fox News Radio. Let's get to a phone call 800-345-5639 Larry in Oakland. Larry.
0: Hi Rob. I just wanted to know is uh, zillow.com a reliable way to estimate our Bay Area home prices or is there some other
1: better way? I don't I personally don't think Zillow is appropriate. It's got some errors in the system. I think it's nice to take a look at. I think you know using Craigslist to figure out what rents are going for is is nice, but I think if you over, um, if you um, you're making a lot of assumptions if you believe it's correct. Have you looked at your home on on Zillow and, and felt comfortable with it? Uh, yeah, more or less. Okay, I could tell you that when I punch in my home, it overvalues it by three hundred thousand because uh, uh. someone accidentally put in a square footage on. Uh, my whole lot, which is 10,000 square foot lot, and they they kind of assumed that the whole house was that, so my home is massively overpriced because of that. So I, I it's about four hundred thousand dollars overpriced at this point in time, so I'd be cautious on trusting it too much, okay? So, but it's it's cute, zillow.com, it rhymes with pillow. Uh, thanks to the caller,
0: okay? Great, thanks,
1: yep. And another problem with it is, is ultimately. It's it's called the fat finger problem. Anytime that you're trusting a website that Zillow is getting keyed in. You know, someone's putting in three beds, someone's putting in square feet ten thousand, someone's putting in two and a half baths. What what if they make a mistake and they put two baths two instead of two and a half? And what if the house next to you sold for a million dollars and they punch it in as ten million dollars? Well then suddenly the comps go up and everything they're they're valuing on uh Everything that they're valuing as far as prices go and comparables go per square foot kind of just went out the window all kind of fast and furious, if you get what I'm saying. Anyway, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting to say the least, a little, little interesting. Speaking of interesting sex pills, this is a um, funny commentary. I just walked by my bosses. They're all having a meeting right now. They're getting ready to talk about what a glorious quarter they had in revenue. So I could talk sex now. What's the, the adults are, 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 are talking business and shopping. and they're not going to give me any crap on this. Viagra and its clones have created a multi-billion-dollar industry, and the recession hasn't touched the Viagra industry. So the next generation of sex drugs called female Viagra is on the way because the dr- drug industries, they know that billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars are spent in good economies and bad economies. Now, it's it's only our, your imagination, but it, it seems like every other commercial on TV is a guy throwing a football through a, a, a hoop, right? I wonder what that means. <laughs> Train going through a, a, st- a station is all hearted steel. I wonder what that means. So that the ads are uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable to watch with a woman in the room. They're uncomfortable to watch with a dude in the room. You know, kid comes up to you and says, Daddy, what's your erectile dysfunction? And you go, I don't know. I've never heard of it. But this is a billion dollar industry that I swear to you, it, it didn't slow down during the recession. So and you're going to see more uncomfortable commercials because of female Viagra. This is something I've talked to my producer about, and we're not going to do it here because I think it's an embarrassing topic and I don't want to get sued. Now, more and more sex drugs are on the way. So-called Viagra for women, not far off. Now, the reason that we're going to get more sex drugs to make us harder to turn us on and to get us all juiced up is because people will pay for added pleasure. People will pay for added pleasure. Viagra and its two big competitors, Silas and Levitra, they account for about $4 billion in sales last year, and the numbers keep rising. Competition's fierce, and the numbers keep rising. What does competition usually do? It lowers prices. So now there's two types of erection pills similar to Levitra, Silas and Viagra, as if we needed more commercials of old guys playing with electric guitars. That's probably the most annoying one, right? Yes, we get the symbolism of an old guy playing with electric car, t- car, t- car, uh, electric guitars. So two new treatments for pre- uh, premature ejaculation, which affects 30 percent of men. This is going to be big. The leading contender is an antidepressant that appears to help resolve the problem with a single dose of a few hours before sex, as opposed to regular daily doses. Uh, two types of female Viagra in gel and mist form. <laughs> it's uncomfortable for me to talk about. I don't know why. Like I said, management's locked up in a room right now so I can get away with it. They're not listening to me. But, you know, for female Viagra, it's designed to heighten sexual desire. Generic versions of Viagra, and this is going to be huge, ladies and gentlemen. The generic versions of Viagra, it comes off patent in 2012. And it's going to be an event to inspire drug makers to launch all sorts of V, vitamin V versions of of the pill. If current trends hold, I expect strong demand for new bedroom drugs, and they're going to make it into the, into the market. Global sales have surged from virtually zero a dozen years ago, and they've shown a little sign of slowing down. Like I said, you know, during the recession, they went higher and higher and higher. What's even more important about this is insurance companies don't cover sex drugs more often than not. Sales of Viagra, the little magic blue pill, it started the trend uh, up 7% last year. Overall sales of about $1.9 billion. Silas shot up 16% in sales last year and 26% outside the United States. That hit $1.5 billion in sales. Eli Lilly, they hold second place in the United States to Viagra. They've already uh, passed it in Europe. Lilly attributes this to several dosage options, including, you know, dose that helps men be ready whenever the moment's right. Um, and not just pop in a single pill to get ready in the next hour or two. So single shot Sialis pills last much longer than the other two is up to 36 hours compared with four to five hours for Viagra and Levitra. Um, hence the weekend pill name. Um, so Sialis, you pop it, you get 36 hours. Basically, you know what it what it does is sometimes you're not turned off by your partner, but it takes more work for your partner to get into you. So it, it kind of. Takes you back to that, you know, a little touch, ding, works uh, versus a lot of touch having to work to get you all going. And again, this is ex- this is extremely uncomfortable for me to talk about. Other than th- there's an investment angle. So Levitra sales up 25 percent for GlaxoSmithKline, GlaxoSmithKline GSK, Eli Lilly LLY. Um, these are publicly traded companies. Now the popularity of these drugs shouldn't come as any surprise. Erectile dysfunction it's 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 popular as boomers age. Problem affects. About 30 million men in the United States, they've become so popular that these are now recreational drugs amongst younger people and used by athletes to help build endurance or counteract impotence, which can be a side effect of testosterone injunction. So uh, these pills are popped despite the risks. In some rare cases, you lose a little vision, you lose a little hearing. So some common side effects include headache and nausea. These drugs, you know, they can create havoc on a marriage because your marriage could stink and you're not having sex because your marriage stinks. Right. And then you pop a pill and suddenly you're having sex, but your marriage still stinks. So there's a lot of things to think about here. Viagra sales are a small part of Pfizer's fifty six billion dollars in sales. So there's very upside is very muted. So you're looking for the smaller names. Um, you're looking for the, uh, the, the smaller uh, major pharmaceutical companies and what they introduce and or don't introduce as far as rec- recreational sex drugs. Uh, but again, Americans will pay for pleasure. That's the investment lesson that I really want you to get out of this. Americans will pay for pleasure. And on top of that, when generic um, Viagra comes out in 2012, holy mackerel, people are going to be going to their doctors. And, you know, Viagra was an important drug, not because of how many people used it once, but how many people used it two times let me give you the investment lesson there because, again, I want you to get investment lessons even out of my dorky stories. Americans will pay for pleasure. That's investment lesson number one. But number, investment lesson number two is if a doctor prescribes something, that means they trust it. Because the last thing a doctor wants you to do is for you to die and for your, your husband or your wife to, you know, sue them. They don't want that. So the fact that doctors felt comfortable prescribing it a second time, yay, they feel very, very comfortable with it. So the investment lesson there is, like, the Da Vinci um, surgical robot. It's, it's not how many times it's used once, it's how many times it's used twice. In situations like uh, Medtronic, who makes heart stems and heart valves and, and things along those li- lines that keep your, your heart pumping blood, it's not how many doctors use it once, it's how many doctors use it twice. Because once it's used, it's embedded. And you know how tough it is to get that, that knocked out? Like the, the best restaurant in my hometown right now is a, a restaurant called Town. Do you know how hard it is to become the best restaurant when you already have a best restaurant? It's tough to take out the champ. It is tough. To take out the champ. And that takes time. You get your calls in there. It's 800 345 5639. It's 800 345 5639. Let's see. Let's see if I can do a quick email ever by myself. Um, Caller asked for a target 401k goals. Okay. Okay. 401k goals. I think there's two types of, of accumulating of, of wealth in the United States you accumulate wealth and then you manage wealth. For most of us, the best way to get wealthy is to give yourself a bill. 15% of everything you earn, you're going to save in a, a, a jar, and you're never going to touch it. I know that sucks, right? Because you, you're like, I just made $400 this week. I'm going to go buy something for $400. And Rob Black says no. Rob Black says you got to put 60 of it away, so you only get to play with 340 That 60 that you're putting away is for the future. That's from age 60 to 100. So you really want to try to accumulate somewhere between 10 and 40 thousand dollars by age 30 for your nest egg for age 60 to 100, you want to accumulate somewhere between 40 and a hundred thousand dollars by age 40. You want to accumulate well, if you haven't gotten 40 to hundred thousand by age 40, you're probably going to work till the day you die. I hate to say that, but it's true. In large part, it takes money to retire from age 60 to 100, you're not earning money. You get a little bit from Social Security, and then if you have a million dollars, that pays you $40,000 a year. So if you have 500000 that pays you $20,000 a year. If you have 250000 that pays you about $10,000 a year. That's it. And there's taxes involved. So you got to see. It takes a lot of money to retire. The best way to do it, maxing out the 401k. You're listening to Rob Black and your money. Rob Black and your money. You can call me, 800-345-5639. I don't have my mojo today. I'm, I'm not quite sure where my... My, my syntax isn't quite right. My 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 sentence structure just totally wrong. It's, something's off. My pacing isn't there. Uh, call the show, 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Love me and send me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. You're listening to the Bay Area's exclusive home for Fox News Radio 910 AM. Coming up next, Headline News